Good morning, Uprock Church. Good to see all you wonderful people. Happy Fourth of July again for the second time today. I think we've got to say that three times this morning. Uh, you know, I like to overemphasize everything. Repetition means remembering, not that I have to remind you it's Fourth of July. Anyway, so I wanted to just remind you that we are in the midst of a series called Gifted about us as a church discovering our supernatural superpowers, these superpowers that God has endowed all of us with and given to us. Each of us have something of them in us. Uh, it's not a, a test. It's not a competition. There's not going to be a prize at the end for who has the most superpower. It's about all of us understanding that God has deposited in each of us something that is unique to who we are and for the king and the kingdom that he wants us to build and advance out there in the city of Lakeway, the city of Austin, the state of Texas, the United States of America, and to the nations of the world. Amen? So if you are here for the first time today, there is a gifted devotional, just reminding you of that. It's one per family. They're outside there on the table. If you haven't got one yet, please get one. If you do have one, don't take another one. I'm watching you, Steve, bro. I know it's okay. No, you can't sell these out there. But you can please take one. And also, I want to encourage you again to do the gifted or the spiritual gift assessment. It was sent out in last week's email. Uh, and so if you never read the email, it was there. But if you missed it, it is on our website too. That, that assessment will help you understand what your gifted makeup is. It's not, again, to be compared to. I know Tim said that you should get your wives to do it on you, and you do it on your wives, and you see how you guys marry up. Um, if you want to do that, if, you feel, if you're that comfortable in your relationship, you can do that. Uh, but if you're not, it's okay. But please don't think that it's, you know, one result is any higher than, any, than anybody else's. And so in this series, we're going to celebrate the gifts in our church as well. Ryan, if you could come up. And so by doing that over the next few weeks, along with me and some of the other the, the gifted teachers we have in our church, elders, are going to be preaching this word too. So Ryan this morning has the privilege of preaching on prophecy today. So Ryan, take it away. I said to Marco, since we're doing prophecy, I'm throwing my notes away, and uh, good luck. <laughs> All right, so real privilege to be here this morning uh, on this hour, our our. Fourth of July experienced weekend. We're really looking forward to tomorrow. We really are as a family. Um, so yeah, as uh, Marco said, we're doing this uh, this series on um, on giftedness, on the on the spiritual gifts and the natural gifts that God gives us. And so, uh, a key text is Romans 12. And if you could turn there for for a few moments, if you have your Bible, it will come up on the screen. Good to bring your Bible. And this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to give more of a teaching than a preaching. I don't know if that's the right grammatical use of it. It's more of a teacher than a preach this morning. So, um, so there might be a few things I'm going to do that, you know, it's not going to be proclamation. Proclamation is really what preaching is about. We proclaim Jesus Christ is crucified. And that's what we do when we preach. And there's a difference. And, and the difference is important because preaching is a prophetic thing. And I'm kind of hitting my, ahead of my notes here, but preaching is a prophetic thing. To proclaim the words of God is what the prophetic is about, right? The gospel, what we see in the scriptures, is the word of God. This is what God's word to humankind is, to you and to I, to this world, to these nations, to everybody. Is that Jesus came and died. He was crucified for our sins on the cross. He was raised, resurrected for us. Defeated sin, defeated death, defeated the devil, defeated everything that puts itself over our lives, defeated all of things. Victory in his resurrection. Then he was raised. I mean, then he was ascended to heaven and now reigns with all power and authority. One day we'll come back. But in the meantime, he's given us his Holy Spirit to live with. That's the gospel. And saying that to you, that's a prophetic utterance because it is the Word of God. So every time you are preaching or proclaiming or sharing the gospel, you are being prophetic. Amen. You are sharing God's absolute, you could be assured that's God's absolute Word for that person. Amen. That is from the Word, from God Himself. So you're being prophetic. So this morning what I want to do is I almost want to demystify the prophetic. Where there's, a, there's a lot that probably goes through your mind. Some of you are like, yes, this is the, this is the moment. Like everything's going to be chaos now. This is what I've been looking forward to. And some of you are like, oh, my word. I, you know, I've seen some stuff on TV. I really hope we aren't going down that route, right? So I want to demystify it a bit this morning. And so Romans 12 is our key text for, for this whole gifted series. And, uh, and Paul writes this, and he says, for by, in verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, hmm. but to think 
with sober judgment. I like this because he's about to talk about the gifts and look how he sets it up. Well, look, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment. And so that tells me that even when it comes to some of the more supernatural gifts like prophecy, we ought to think with sober judgment. What does that look like? Well, first thing I can understand what he's saying here is not to think more highly than you ought to think is that deals with our, our hearts around some of the hype and the celebritizing we do around the gifts, the personalities we gravitate towards and how we put them up in a pedestal often because, you know, it's actually a little easier to put somebody else on a pedestal than me step out. I think sometimes that's what happens. So let them do the thing. Let them do all the and get all the pressure, and then when they fall, let them fall. At least it wasn't me. I didn't step out. I didn't do anything. I didn't take a risk, and so I don't have to worry, right? So it deals with some of that. It deals with our, our hearts towards wanting to always set someone up and celebritizing. Um, don't be over-impressed with the gifts. Don't be over-impressed. It is a gift of God. So if it's God's gifts... We ought to think around, we ought to have the sober judgment. And that also says to me that we shouldn't overplay them, but also we shouldn't underplay them. Right? Sober judgment. I'm going to think rationally about this. I'm not going to underplay the gifts that God has given. Nor should you underplay the gifts that God has given you. Right? They're from God himself. He gave them to you. Can't bury it. Right? We have to use it. We have to do something with what it is he's done don't overplay, don't over, underplay. Take what God has given you seriously. That's sober judgment. You can take what God has given you seriously without taking yourself seriously. So this is why Paul continues. He says, so yeah, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we operate in our gifts in faith, in trust in God, and taking risks in Him. Knowing is he, if he's giving it to me, I can actually have the confidence to do something with it, right? He gave it to me. I could use it. It's not like it's a half a gift, a three-quarter gift. There's something missing in it. He gave it to you. It, it's good enough for what it is that he wants to do with it, right? So he's given it to you. Whatever you have is good enough for what it is that he wants to do with you. So that's where we talk about measure of faith. It also can be translated a measure of confidence. God has given you what you need, if God gave it, it's sufficient. Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Quick note there, the word function, not position. In the kingdom of God, we have various functions, not positions. We have one head, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the head of you and I, the one who reigns sovereign above all. And all of us play different functions. And some of those functions may have more authority here and less authority there. And in another ministry or another fact thing that you do, though like, like um, the elders have authority over the local church, but they don't necessarily have authority over the business that God has given you to run, right? We all have different functions, not positions. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's functional, not position. No. Okay, so each functioning part must work together to create the whole, as Paul continues to explain in verse, five, in verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Speaking to you and to I today, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. So how many of you guys have done the um, spiritual assessment thing? All right. Can I put you on the spot? How many was prophecy like in the top one? <laughs> top, the first one, right? I'm looking. <laughs> and in the top three, where did you, I mean, if it scored highly in your, in your assessment, right? If it's prophecy, what does it say? And it says, let us use them. There's a bit of a challenge for you today. <laughs> use it. Right. And then he goes on, if I service in our serving, the one who teaches, and if you, and I'm going to say, even if prophecy is on the low level of your thing, that doesn't mean you don't use it. Okay. We'll get to that in a moment. So he talks about exhortation, contribution, generosity, zeal. And then he, this beautiful verse in uh, verse 9. 
You can go there on the slide. Let love be genuine. Such a wonderful cap to all these gifts. Don't think too highly. Don't think underplay. Don't overplay the gifts. God gave the gifts. They're sufficient. If you have the gift, you better use it. God has given it to you. And guess what? Let love be genuine. That's the heart of God behind these gifts. That our love for each other would be genuine. It gives us a context of these gifts. So, um, 1 Peter 4 says this. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's the slide after the slide. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. That verse really gives me some sober thinking around the words I speak. I don't know about you. And when it comes to prophecy, to also think about that. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to essentially break this morning into three components. And the first will be is why prophecy is still a valid gift for today. Then we'll talk about what New Testament prophecy is, and then we'll talk about how the New Testament tells us it should be practiced. Now, I wanted to address this, and I really wrestled with this thing of talking about why prophecy is still a valid, still a gift for today, because I don't know your background. I don't know what you've been taught or, or where you've come from, what you're thinking today, what your opinion on prophecy or, or these kind of gifts, these more sort of supernatural gifts looks like. And so I wrestled with whether I should go into all the detail of this teaching. But I, but I kind of felt God say, yes, do it. There might be someone here today, or maybe all of you, that we just need to address this thing, that prophecy is still something God gives us today. Right, and, and it'll come, it doesn't come down to whether or not it's valid because you've seen it done in a very strange way. Or it's done in, been done in a harmful way. If you've seen sometimes the gift practiced in a harmful way, that doesn't mean that the gift is invalid doesn't mean that it's not for something God wants to do today. It just means someone's doing it wrong, right? So I don't want to spend too long in this first section, and I'll try and be as objective as possible. But I know that many people worry about this thing called prophecy, and I think sometimes the chief concern is less to do with what the Bible says and more to do with what we've seen or experienced. And that's sometimes a fact that is more true than we'd like to admit, so you've seen some weird stuff, maybe you've seen some people make predictions that aren't true, maybe you've seen someone prophesying to someone's life or a friend's life and it was actually harmful to them or it sent them on a, on a path to where they shouldn't have gone. Um, these are 100% valid concerns. But there's no reason to, for us not to be able to look at Scripture and see what it says about prophecy. There is no direct and clear Scripture that says prophecy is not valid for today. There is none in the Scriptures. So what some guys have taught is that it's not valid today, and there's a history behind this. Um, the, the, the Scripture that is often used is in 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the main Scripture that guys like to, like to use to say that prophecy is no longer valid for today. And I'll go into the history in a moment. Let me just read the Scripture. It says 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Again, Paul was talking about gifts, all right? So he talks about gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And when he gets to 1 Corinthians 13, what does he talk about? He talks about love. Again, gifts, he backs it up with the discussion on love. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So it's no coincidence that Paul brings up love again. And the immediate context of the scripture is therefore love. That's what he's talking about, gifts and love. And it seems clear to me that 
Love trumps all the gifts. Right? It's almost like where the gifts lead towards. It's what they're doing. It's like if I share a prophetic word with you out of a heart of love, it brings us close together. It unifies us. It grows us up into Christ. It grows us up into Him. And so it passes because it only has a temporal use. Prophecy isn't forever. The, the, those words that we give to each other are temporal. They're for a moment to bring us into something. They don't, they're not the thing in themselves. Does that make sense? And that's what the scripture is saying. It's saying prophecies will cease. They're not going to go on forever. Because when the perfect comes, when we achieve what it is we've grown up into all things that God has for us, they're no longer necessary. But that doesn't mean they're no longer valid or to be used. Because each of us has growing up to do. And the church has growing up to do. The church isn't ready yet for Jesus to come back. I mean, I'm, I'm making, that's a pretty bold statement. Jesus could come back tomorrow and the church is ready. But while Jesus is not here, we know that he's coming back for a bride that is grown up, right? A woman who's ready to be married, not a girl. That's what Jesus is coming back for, right? So the scripture is all about how the God is growing us up, maturing us, making us a mature bride, um, sanctifying us so that he can come back for his Pride. And we see that he talks about when I was a child, I, I reasoned like a child. So many people will make the statement that this scripture is saying that prophecy is no longer valid today because it ceases. And they will say that what happened was when the Bible came around, the canon of scripture, when, the, when they made this committee, um, this council, and they decided what Bible books, what books will go into the canon of scripture, the final canon of scripture, this would be what Christian teaching is made out of. So it's a bit jumbled, but I hope you make sense. They say that is the perfect, so therefore prophecy was no longer needed because now we have the perfect called the Bible. I'm going to just throw that out there and say that's what people say. You can make up your own mind about that. But if I look at the scripture, I don't see it saying anything like that. Which tells me that every single verse of scripture that talks about using prophecy is a verse of scripture that is for me and for you. It is something we ought to do. It, regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of how we think about it. Now, there is some historical context to this. The Reformers, when they came, the Reformation happened. I'm going to give you some interesting little tidbits that I found was, was quite, quite interesting, was they were speaking into a context where the church was literally adding on to Scripture, right? They were coming up with all sorts of new teachings and making life more and more difficult and unbearable, saying, you know, making it difficult to be saved. You had to go through thousands of hoops, before you could be saved. And you would never know if you'd be saved. Only when you died one day, you go to purgatory, and only in purgatory, maybe you'll find out that you'll eventually get out of purgatory and you'll get to go to heaven. So reformers are speaking to that context, and so they were saying that, that the Bible is sufficient. And the Bible is sufficient. When we say we're talking about prophecy, we're not saying the Bible isn't sufficient. It is sufficient. It's also sufficient letting us know how to practice prophecy. Right? It's sufficient in everything it gives us and everything it does. Now, in the year 1450, so this is what the Reformers, the context the Reformers were speaking into. So they would often want to downplay anything extra over the Bible. But they weren't close to prophecy, which might surprise you. The Reformers weren't close to prophecy at all. In 1450, this is before the Reformation, there was a guy called John Huss. He's one of the pre-Reformation heroes. Um, and this guy, they burned at the stake, Right? And as they, just as they were burning him, his last words were recorded where he says, he was a bohemian guy, and his name, John Huss, Huss means goose. So people called him affectionately the goose. That was his nickname. He said as he was burning, you are going to burn a goose, but in 100 years you will have a swan which you can neither roast nor boil. Those were the last words, John Huss. A hundred years later exactly, John Luther arrived, I mean John Luther, Martin Luther arrived, and he put that 95 Thesis on the door. And the Reformers believed that that was a fulfillment of the prophecy John Huss gave 100 years back. All right. In fact, just the, before uh, the day that Martin Luther posted the stuff on the door, uh, the elector Frederick of Saxony, and if you've watched the, John Luther, I mean, the Martin Luther movie or read any of the books, most of us probably watched the movie more than read any of the books, um, 
there was the guy that protects Martin Luther. If you haven't watched the movie, please go watch it. But um, the elector Frederick of Saxony has a dream where about a monk who writes on the church door of Wittenberg. This is just the night before uh, Martin Luther posts that thing. And he's writing with a pen so large that it reaches to Rome. It's got this huge feather on the pen. And as he's writing, it's tickling the nose of the Pope in Rome. And he's getting all upset. And he's getting waking up, and he's getting all upset. And all the Roman officials are all going nuts about this pen that is disturbing them from their sleep as this guy's writing. So in his dream, he wakes up a few times, disturbed. He goes back and keeps dreaming. And eventually, he gets annoyed with this monk because he's like, listen, you're doing this in my territory. You're disturbing those guys in his dream. He's like, what is this pen you're using in the dream? And the monk says to him, this pen belonged to an old goose of Bohemia, 100 years old. And he says, I'm also astonished at this pen. Because when I write, I have to use it. I can't stop using it. But I'm astonished at the power of this pen. That was the dream that he had. Martin Luther posted this thing that week. It's a little interesting historical moment. And the reformers backed that thing. They believed that this was the fulfillment of God's prophecy that he had made 100 years before. Do you see the points I'm making? So, throughout the church, prophecy has been a valid gift to be used. It is something we should use. All right. Ephesians 4 talks about how the gifts are given to mature the body of Christ, to grow into perfect unity in love and maturity. Again, we see that the gifts are used to grow us. That is what God is intending to use for them. When the time comes, when the time comes, we shall see Christ to face and also finally see each other no longer through mirrors and smoke. So what the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us. So scripture is sufficient. It is sufficient to teach us on how to handle prophecy. The Bible is a prophetic book. It is a living word that comes to us, that, that, that changes us, that sanctifies us. The word of God lives within us. When we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, when we have it preached to us, when we talk about it in life groups or get together, it is a living word that speaks to us. And so it is a prophetic book in itself. Right? And that's essentially what New Testament prophecy is. So the second part, what is prophecy in the New Testament? Well, in its most basic form, it is a message from God. It means to reveal or to show forth and to have perception or an ability to perceive. And if you read the devotional that uh, Marco said, go get, if you haven't got it, and there's some at the front there, uh, I believe, this morning, if you read the devotional, you'll see from about day 10, it begins to unpack some of these things about prophecy. And it uses, likes to use this word, perceive, or how, what it means to perceive things. So if you're the kind of person who can perceive certain things intuitively, to, when you know something feels wrong or right, right you maybe, and some people are better that, at that than others. Right? Some people can literally walk in a room and say, something's off here. I don't know what it is. And the prophetic gift takes it. One step further when, from I don't know what it is to I do know what it is. And even one step further, not only do I know what it is, I can articulate it. I can make it intelligible to the rest of you what it is that's wrong or what it is that's right. And so this is where the natural gifting that some people will have to the prophetic, where they're able to perceive and understand, crosses over with the miraculous point where God has to be the one that says, this is what's going on here. Or this is what needs to happen, yeah? You see how the two need to work hand in hand. So very often you will find people who don't know the Lord who seem to have exceptional perception. Right? And you know, what's that about? Well, yes, they, maybe they get it right eight out of ten times. But there's things that God does that your perception is not good enough to understand. He needs to tell you. So, but the gift is about making... All of that intelligible to others. So you could learn to have perception through experience and practice, but you'll also get it wrong. Sometimes maybe you'll be overconfident in that ability, and then maybe that's when people prophesy words over people that they shouldn't because they've actually just had confidence in the natural ability. They haven't really heard from the, heard from the Lord. All right, so this is why you only want not only to rely on the natural gift, but on the Holy Spirit to give you the necessary discernment and, and the ability to make that 
intelligible to others. So the more supernatural prophecy is the one that we tend to give all the glory and light because that's like blows our mind away, right? Somebody just says, stand up and they tell you half of your life. And we've seen that happen. But I want to say this, that the gift is learning how to make things intelligible for people. Right? So that's why God will sometimes, if he's speaking to you, he will give you a picture that that person understands. Maybe you don't, but that person understands. You have to take the risk to step out and say, I see this picture or or I have this word for you. Right? And that's often also why God will sometimes use things that we all understand, some cultural things. Um, I mean, uh, on last week, someone gave a prophetic word to someone about a big packet of chips. I mean, you think God cares about a big packet of chips? No, right? Like, but the point is he uses something that people understand or know to make a point. All right. So the intelligibility thing I want to harp on because um, you can get better at that. Sometimes prophetic people use a lot of big words or say a lot of things that don't make sense. And so if that's you, you have to learn over time ways to make it make sense to others. God might drop something on your heart that is amazing, but if you can't actually articulate that yet, you need to find a way to articulate that to others. So there's not just being, people aren't just being bombed by all this crazy stuff. They don't know what the heck you're talking about. You need to find ways to discern it, to understand it, and to make it intelligible to others. Okay. I went a bit ahead of my notes there. Okay, and prophecy is not fortune-telling. It's not you will meet someone tall, dark, and handsome. All right? Or someone is out to get you. All right? Prophecy should never instill fear. It should instill faith. If prophecy is instilling fear, there is something wrong. Okay, and every now and again, I know in the Scripture that God brought someone who said, guys, God's about a judge. Right, then this is a rare circumstance, right? It's rare for God to give you a word to say God's going to judge. If that is a word God has given you and you're 100% sure God has given you that, again, you need to find a way to deliver that word because it's not just what God gives you that is important, but the way it is delivered that is important. Right, I could, I could go and I could quote scripture to you and you could leave like ready to die because like, Good grief, the Scripture has condemned you, right? Scripture is not to condemn us. It's to encourage us. It's to give us faith. It's to know this is what's wrong. The discernment has been given. I understand what needs to be fixed. But God says He's given you His Spirit. He's given you what you need. He's saved you. He's given you salvation. And you could be encouraged to know I am still a child of God. And in that scenario, I can fix or adjust or whatever it is. Does it make sense what I'm trying to say there? So prophecy is always meant to encourage. That's what 1 Corinthians 14.3 says. It says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. You want to discern what New Testament prophecy looks like? This is how. Does it encourage? Does it strengthen? Does it comfort? Does it bring the word of the Lord? Does it tell about Jesus? Does it lift up the faith of that person? Or you yourself, if you've been given this word? Or does it do the opposite? If it does the opposite, chances are the wrong word. Even if it's the right word given wrong, it's wrong. I I like to go as far as that. Let God bring it some other way instead. Because you need to have your faith lifted up. That is what the word of God does. Sorry, I missed the slide, but we're in slide part three now. How prophecy is practiced according to the New Testament. And that's what it means to reveal something to people. You reveal God's heart for them. What is God's heart for people? Not to have them like live in condemnation and judgment. God's heart is to lift them up, to save them, to save you. And we're revealing God's heart when we share, when, we, when we're practicing prophecy. A prophetic message is not new information but confirmation. That's another way to discern. Whether you're about to give a word, okay, you're not going to necessarily know if you're giving a word that is confirming something. You've got to step out and take the risk. But when you're receiving a word, or when someone's receiving a word from you, 
It needs to be confirmation of something God's working in their hearts, not new information. That's often where it gets wrong. It's not a discipline, doctrine, and direction moment. Right? You're not meant to give words to discipline or to change doctrine or to give people direction. If it's direction, it's confirming something that God's already placed in their hearts. We're here today because of many words spoken to us that confirmed our belief that we needed to be in the U.S. It wasn't something that somebody came up with and that changed our lives completely and sent us on a completely new path. I mean, the whole thing did send us on a completely new path, but it's because God spoke to us first, right? And the same goes for Marco, the same goes for any of you guys uh, where God's done that in your lives. All right, so think about that. It's not information, it's confirmation. You can hear from God. So, how do you practice? While you hear from God. You get together with Him. Right? At home. And you begin to hear from Him. John said, my sheep hear my voice. He doesn't say, my sheep might hear my voice. Or, you know, if it's a good day, they'll hear my voice. Or maybe if they eat the right pizza, not deep dish, they will hear my voice. (laughs) All right. Marco hates deep dish pictures, just so you know. I, I suppose I should have left you in the... But, um, he doesn't say maybe... That he says, my sheep might know my voice. If you're a sheep, if you belong to Jesus, you know his voice. Don't have to be confused about it. Where the confusion sheds in is when we're a little bit just like worried. Did I really hear his voice? Did I hear his voice? Now I begin to overthink it. Imagine my wife speaks to me, and I'm like, was it really Shannon? I don't know. Right? All right, it's not like that. There's, there's something God, He's put His Holy Spirit inside you. And you can't explain in words. You can't explain to somebody else. But it's true. It happens. He speaks to you. His Spirit lives inside of you. His Spirit understands what He says. It's not like His Spirit, they speak two different languages. If His Spirit lives inside of you, understands what He says, you understand what He says. He speaks to you. Bottom line. Whether you prophetic, whether prophetic scored 17 on that test or like minus 2, He speaks to you. Amen. Be confident on that today. All right, and sometimes we will make some mistakes. Maybe we thought God spoke to us and things didn't work out. All right, and we lose confidence. Maybe God doesn't speak to me. No, God speaks to you. In fact, there are many things that I was like, well, I don't think God maybe said that. We were in the wrong, wrong line. And only years later does it actually come to fruition. We have to be patient with the words of God. God, like, He spoke the universe into existence. Um... Those words have power. He says his word will not return to him void. Right? There's, but like God is patient, I must admit. He takes longer to do things than I would like him to. I mean, he's working everything out. So we have to be patient with those words of God. Let them sit and remunerate and let them see what God does. Um, so we can hear his voice. And we can also hear his voice through Scripture. In fact, that's the primary way. Get to know the kind of God he is. Through Scripture. Who is this God? I can go to Scripture. I can find out. That gives me my discernment, my tool, my ability to know when it is God speaking to me. Because it doesn't line up to what the Scripture says. It doesn't line up to how God has revealed himself through the generations, through the apostles, and who Jesus is that I read about there. Does it line up? Yes, it does. Probably him speaking. Does it not line up? Probably not him speaking. A word of condemnation? That's not Jesus. Probably not him speaking. Okay, so we learn through the Spirit. We also learn through each other. We learn through circumstances of life. We learn to hear the Word of God. And sometimes Scripture has multi-layered meaning. So there's a, there's a meaning to the Scripture that is obviously there in the context when we're studying it. But God reveals something else to you in that Scripture, something personal. Have you ever had that experience? Right? Two of you have. <laughs> right? He does that. And sometimes he will give you a scripture to do that to somebody else, to share that with somebody else. You won't go wrong by sharing scripture. If you're wanting to step out in this gift, and I encourage you, yes, please do step out in this gift, you will not go wrong by sharing a verse of scripture. It's the best place to start. The best place to start. And I want to encourage that for the meetings. I'm going way ahead in my notes, but I'm going to do this now. All God's people are called to prophesy. This is what 1 Corinthians 14.1 says. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Interesting. 
Numbers 11, 29. Moses said to him, I, don't, I actually should have found out who him was. But anyway, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Well, guess what? That's what he did. It's Joshua. He was speaking to Joshua. It's his marker. That's what God did. He did put his spirit upon all of God's people. Guess what that means? All his people are prophets. Interesting, right? Just like, if you know the story of Elijah and Elisha, just like Elijah's sort of mantle anointing went on Elisha, so the anointing of Jesus Christ has fell on us. All right. And so we declare the very words of God. So if you were the, one of those, let me put it like this. There's an encouragement in this to step out in this gift and take risks. And the best places for that, all right, are like the life groups that we do, small groups, perhaps in your family. Sometimes I find it more difficult to share in my family. I don't know why. It's, that's actually the wrong way around. Your family is a good place to share words, right, to encourage each other. And on our meetings, Sunday mornings, right, today. You know, those meetings where we should step out in this gift. So I'm going to explain to you quickly how it's administered. When we're talk, talking about let's have more of the prophetic going on and that kind of stuff and we're going to be more free and all that kind of thing, I know many of us, myself included in this, worry a little bit like what that's going to look like. Is, there a, just, is this saying like let's just have everything a mess and chaos and we sit and wait for the Spirit to do something? You know, is the Holy Spirit going to turn on the lights and is He going to clean the sandwich off the stage, whatever, right? No, so we, so, we, so we start talking about excellence. We want to do everything excellently. And so I want to encourage us this morning to, to have us think about what it is we want to be excellent at doing. Right? We don't want to be excellent at stifling the Spirit, what the Spirit wants to do, but we want to create the structure and the organization so that the Spirit can move. Does it make sense? Like, I don't know if you guys call them a trellis. Yeah, it's like a little piece of wood that you build and the flower, the like vine grows on it. So it's kind of like what we do. We're creating a structure, so the, a lattice. We're creating a structure so that the vine, the life of God, in a sense, can grow. But that life of God grows as it pleases, right? It's organic. So we want organic life in our church. We want to be open and flexible for the Spirit to move in our meetings. On a Sunday morning, we're singing two songs. Sorry, we're singing one song today because there's some contributions, some people bringing words of uh, prophecy to this meeting. We don't have time to do four songs, right? We must be open and flexible to do that. We must be open and flexible to cut the preach short and not. But that doesn't mean that we just arrive on a Sunday morning and we do whatever, right? So we want to be excellent, but we want to be excellent at facilitating the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of His people in power and presence on every time we get together. Does that make sense? And that requires some skill. Right? That requires some extra ordinary skill because it's very easy to organize. And I, I'm a media guy. I, I do journalism and media in the background. I love it when a plan comes together. We execute that thing. That button gets pushed on the last second as it should go up. It's amazing. Look, we did this thing. You feel proud and happy and like, wow, we do this thing well, right? And then, but God, Jesus is the best example of this. What does he do when, I mean, he just, he constantly flows off interruptions. And, you, and I don't think Jesus was unexcellent in anything he did. I don't know about you, but I don't think so. And I think he had a plan. He did have a plan. He planned to be here, to be there, to move there, to move, to, to preach here, or wherever. And so you can see, he talks about, we're going to go to the next town to his disciples. So you know he has a plan. But when he gets there, there's often interruptions, right? He's, he's preaching to a bunch of people, and some guy arrives and says, my daughter's really sick. You need to come right now to heal her. He stops what he's doing. Imagine you came on a Sunday morning, and Marco just stopped preaching. Sorry, guys, someone needs me. He stops what he's doing, heads out, and on his way, some woman comes and touches him, right? And he stops everything again. So he's interrupted from an interruption, Right? He stops everything again. He says, who's this woman that touched me? And if I was the guy that called him, I'd be like, bro, my, my daughter's dying, remember? You're supposed to come with me. You could deal with this later. Jesus is like, no, I've got to deal with this now. And then they come and they say to the guy, listen, your daughter's dead. So if you don't know the story, I'm sure most of you know the story. But say, <laughs> so your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus says, no, don't worry. I'll sort that out. And he deals with this woman. He deals with that. He ministers off the back of interruptions. And he does it beautifully and excellently. 
Does he not? I mean, they, he's in a room preaching, and they cut a wall in the roof, and they lower this guy down. The friends lower this guy down. He doesn't turn around and say, you guys messed up the roof. You messed up the meeting. Where's your respect for this person's house? He doesn't say any of that. He says, you guys, great faith. I'm, I'm impressed. All right? The whole thing's a mess, and Jesus is impressed. All right? Isn't that unexcellent? He's excellent the way he manages. He facilitates what God was doing. And that's what God wants to do with us in our meetings. It requires some of us to be uncomfortable, but God's not calling us to be comfortable. He's calling us to be excellent, but we've got to decide what is it we want to be excellent at doing. And how will we achieve that? I hope that's cool. Um, so we need to be prepared to, this will challenge, the prophetic does challenge our structures and programs. It really does. And so we need to prepare to go off script. Um, but as I've said, it does not mean a lack of excellence. But don't confuse excellence with comfort and familiarity. Right? Comfort and familiarity creates inflexible institutions, which is what we don't want to be. We want to be a mobile, flexible people of God who are going where the wind blows. All right. Cool. So I want to just give you some final little tips for prophecy. Um, Firstly, misfires are inevitable. If you, if you uh, have a word for someone and it doesn't really work out, they're like, dude, I've got no clue what you're talking about. Right? Maybe they will sometime, but don't be discouraged. Misfires are inevitable. You've got to grow in the gift, just like we all do. But avoid words like um, God says. Right? Rather, I believe or I think. Charlie's favorite, where is he? I feel, sorry, we spoke about that this week, um, but rather say something like, I believe that this is what God's saying to you, something like that, all right? That's not just to cover your butt if things go wrong, but that is also just people understand that you're not trying to impose some sort of authority on them. Does that, is that okay? Okay. Um, understand that we can see even scripturally in uh, 2 Kings um, Acts 13, verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So they were in a meeting worshiping. There was probably some music going on. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we can see a, an example of a meeting in the New Testament where in their worship, the Holy Spirit says something and they responded to that. Uh, 2 Kings 3.15 says, um, but now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So well, I'm, I'm teaching this to show that sometimes music helps. And in those musical moments in our meetings, that's a good time also to share, uh, to share something. And at home, if you're worshiping God, music does seem to help. God seems to have done something with music that does that. And actually, if you're prophetically inclined, you may actually also be musically inclined. That's just a quick little advert to join the band. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so I'm almost done. Um, record prophetic words you get from others. All right, 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. Isn't that interesting? Paul knew about the prophecies Timothy had got. I don't know if Timothy shared them with him or Paul was there when Timothy received them. But they shared the words that God had for themselves with each other. Then she encouraged us to do the same thing. To not feel ashamed about the words that God gives you. Oh, this is too great for me. Right, God will never do that for me. I'm, I'm too embarrassed to actually share it with somebody. Sometimes we like that. Don't be ashamed. Share it with each other. Let's build each other up. And then he says, uh, so in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, is that by recalling them, you may fight the battle as well. Those words that God has given you, you've got to recall them when the battle comes. Because God prepares us ahead for the battle that's coming. So often. And if we ignore them, I think God's very gracious. He's not going to stop speaking. He will do what he needs to do, but record them. And so, I mean, you know, when they built the roads in Rome, it was for the gospel, right? To get out there. Well, when they invented cell phones, it's for the gospel. So you could use those to record. Someone shares a word, put on the quick recording device. It's a great, it's a great way of, uh, of doing it. Um, yeah, voice notes to the rescue. Another tip. 
Uh, and then if you, if you, sorry, if you record it, I find it good to, I mean, I don't do this. Shannon actually does this. This is why I got married, so she can do this kind of thing. She writes it down. She records it. She, I mean, like, she just has all, the whole stack of them. Um, another tip is deepen your theology. You have to spend time in God's Word because that's where the Holy Spirit so often draws from. Those are the pictures and the metaphors and the heart of God that we see there. If you're shallow in God's Word, you will be shallow in prophecy. You need to deepen your theology. You need to deepen your understanding of the Scriptures. You need to spend time in the Scriptures if you want to be better at this gift. And I encourage you to be better at this gift. All right. Oh, you know, I didn't do this, but I do need to do this. How, we will do, how things are facilitated on a Sunday morning, if you feel that God has a word, to share with the church. First, ascertain, is this for me or is this for the church? Right? I believe it's for the church, as we had this morning. Thanks for that. That was awesome. And so, then you come, and there will be someone leading the meeting. So, this morning, it was Marco leading the meeting. Sometimes it's Kat. Sometimes, Mark, you, I mean, you'll know. If you don't know, ask someone you know who's leading the meeting, and they'll tell you that's the person leading the meeting. But they're generally the one that came up and opened up the meeting. So this is why I'm going to tell you how this works, is so you can understand that you can step out. Because you'll go to them, and you'll say to them, I have this word. And they will say to you, what is the word? Well, this is the word. And then they can decide, is that for the church or not for the church? It is for the church. Get ready. Microphones can be intimidating, but get ready to share it. Preferably, you share it. Preferably you share what God has given you. Don't decide suddenly that you have to provide some massive interpretation. Right? That's often where it goes wrong. Um, you think, now I've got to actually discern, tell you what all this means. Actually, no, it's good enough what God's given you. Share that and, and stick to that. So you could take a risk on Sunday mornings, and, and there needs to be, there should be more contributions. There should be a lot of contributions on a Sunday morning. That's what the Scripture tells us. When we get together, everyone has a hymn, everyone has a word, everyone has, I don't have the Scripture reference right now, but so bring them. Someone will discern it with you. you can just, they can decide if it should be shared. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry that you now. It's a team effort. It's a team effort that we want to do in all our meetings together. So I just do want to encourage you in that and close off with this final Scripture. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. And in Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. What is God thinking about you, about others? How do we share that? How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. God wants to share his thoughts. I don't know if the band can come up. We still have 10 minutes before we close. But God wants to share his thoughts with us. He wants to share his thoughts with you. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. We're out to count them. Think about this. The thoughts that God has for you, for us. We're out to count them. They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. So let's spend the next few moments listening to God. We're aiming for hoppers 10 close. We have some time just to listen, to hear what God is saying. And even now, if you feel God has actually put something on your heart, maybe for a few weeks, there's been something there you've been worried about, maybe sharing this, come and share it now. Marcus going to have the mic at a moment. And let's just lift our hearts and our hands and our lives to Jesus. Revelation 19 says, Write this, Blessed are those who 
are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. This is John worshiping an angel. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Then he says something interesting. He says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every time we prophesy, we're declaring who Jesus is. His faithfulness. Every testimony, every prophecy always points back to him. So even as now Ryan's asked us to hear from God, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to stand. And just stay in that place and say, Lord, I've never prophesied. I never knew I could. Something of what's been said this morning has stirred your heart. Maybe God speaks to you right now. And as Ryan said, maybe he has been speaking to you for some time. Sometimes we hold on to those words because we are too scared to share them. Or sometimes we hold on to them because, you know, we're not really sure. I want to encourage you to start exercising this gift. God speaks to his church, not to an individual, not to the man of the day. We don't need Moses anymore to hear from God for us. God's given us the Holy Spirit. We can hear from him ourselves. And so maybe just as a response, while your head's about, if anybody desires a greater capacity to hear from God and to operate in something of the prophetic, can I ask you to raise your hands? We're not asking for a magic show. I'm just asking that God would honor your request and that he would pour himself out in your lives, that he would increase the capacity that you have for this gift, that he would give you clarity around this gift, that he would give you confidence around this gift. So if that's you, just keep your hands raised. Father, I pray of every single hand that's raised. And as they lift up their hands and say, Lord, we need more clarity, more direction, more words, Lord, that you are speaking to us to build your church and to encourage those around us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd pour your Holy Spirit on them right now. Release words over people, into their lives, into their hearts. Release gifting, release capacity, release anointing. I pray this today in Jesus' name.